You are now listening to a family live session. This conversation has been recorded as an extension of a previous podcast episode or as a Q&A tackling a topic that has been voted by the listeners. The guests have tuned in live to answer questions from the viewers. If you want to know when the next live Q&A session happens, follow us at Family Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, Brittany. We're live. Hey, Alexandra. Thank you so much for having me back again. So lucky. I'm so excited. Um, I got this idea of having a Q&A session with the podcast guests mm-hmm. in order to deep dive in some of the areas that we've discussed on the podcast. Mm-hmm. The podcast itself um, is obviously available online, so people can still listen to it, uh, obviously, episode number two about design thinking. But uh, we also um, uh, divided the podcast into three sections. So we have upbringing, career path, and advice. And you touched mm-hmm. upon many concepts in the interview and some of them sparkle some feedback and I'm super happy that now we have the opportunity to talk about some of the topics we have the opportunity to engage with with people that have maybe questions and uh, what I would like to to start with is maybe do a run-through about design thinking for for those of, uh, of our listeners and viewers who do not know exactly what design thinking is or are not sure about the entire uh, definition. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much um, for, for having me back and I'm super excited to be here. So to jump sort of straight into it and to talk about, you know, what design thinking is, design thinking is a user-centric approach to solving problems. And we often use design thinking to solve really big innovation problems, like how might we, you know, reduce waste? How might we find a vaccine for COVID-19? Then we, you know, we can think about huge innovation, but at the same time, we can use design thinking in a very simple uh, day-to-day life. We can even just go back to our processes and think, okay, you know, how, what about our accounting processes? How might we make them better? How might we open up or how might we, you know, engage with our employees? So we can use design thinking in a myriad of ways. And the most, what I think specifically now with this COVID-19 that's most interesting about design thinking is that it's an incredible way to map multiple futures very quickly. Um, Hmm. There's no right or wrong answer. And what we've seen, you know, in COVID is that the approach or, you know, that the, the issues that there's so many and there's really no right or wrong answer. So what we really want to do is map as many, you know, multiple futures as possible so that, you know, we can then iterate, choose, and then, you know, invest in the right one and kind of go forward. So if you think about design thinking, that essential element is that we begin with the user in mind. You might know it as having that huge innovation, that kind of groundbreaking innovation, but that's not always the case. Sometimes, you know, it can be very, you know, tangible uh, just in in your regular day-to-day business. And then, uh, maybe in in the context of COVID, one of the most interesting elements of design thinking is really this ability to map multiple futures because no one really knows where where we're all going. So we're just trying to do the best that we can to build it. Mm, Exactly. And uh, on that note, we've had some some feedback about the fact that um, you've very nicely mentioned the fact that design thinking is a process of rapid prototyping. That's right. in case of um, a situation where a company is in trouble, and this is the case for many small businesses, what would you say are you know the first steps to take in order to implement design thinking in their process and be able to salvage or help with their strategy moving forward? 
Sure, absolutely. I think this is a real this is a really great point. You know, that one of the first questions that most of our clients ask is how do I begin? What's the first step? How can I begin, you know, in our in our design thinking journey, be it a personal journey or be it a company journey? And I think the first thing is to really adopt a learning mindset, to understand that design thinking is a process that we use data that is, you know, constantly changing. We use real-time data and we use feedback from the, you know, our users in order to, you know, make um, what, you know, what I like to call educated bets, you know, that we say, okay, mm. where are we going to invest next? And so the rapid prototyping comes into play when we, you know, talk with our user, we understand where we're going, we map multiple futures. But of course, then then the question comes into, okay, where are we going to invest? What's the next step? Um, and the way that we, you know, rapid prototype, and you might think, yeah, we have a service, how can we prototype that? Um, you know, you can do things like storyboards. Prototyping doesn't necessarily mean that you build something physical. Prototyping simply is the idea that you build an analogy around the service or product that you're trying to deliver. And so if you do that, um, you know, maybe, you know, even for example, like right now, you and I are using a, a, an online streaming platform. Imagine that your company wanted to run a, a conference for a thousand people. You've never done it before. Okay. What do you do? Well, we want to prototype it. What does that mean? that we break it down to into an analogy, kind of small bite-sized steps in order for us to test it. So obviously running a test for a thousand people is extremely, well, not only is it extremely difficult, it's not recommended. Um, you know, testing with anywhere between six to nine people is usually gives you 80% of really what you need to know. So what I would do is then go, um, you know, have a small group of people, maybe about five people, jump on kind of a, 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 a platform like this and then test what is it like, what is the sound quality, what's the experience. And that way you've just prototyped and tested, you know, a, an online conference for a thousand people just with five. Mm-hmm. I love that. I actually implement that in, in the company that I work for at Nova Resume. We do a lot of experiments in order to have new business features or new business platforms. And what I've noticed very um, soon as we start is that if you ask a user as many questions as possible about their experience, they will be they will give you so many resources. They would say, really, if you really ask me about this point, I actually have a lot of feedback to give you. So the more specific you are about their experience, the more they give you back mm-hmm. feedback that you can use and iterate on. And mm-hmm. I think that this is obviously key to interacting also with users. Mm-hmm. What do you think it's... Um, process to follow if for example you don't know where to start uh, are there any platforms that you use in order to you know gather those users that uh, maybe people don't know where to find do you Mm -hmm. think that it's um, a good idea to just email some users what do you think the, the process should be well, we can think really, we can think about everything as an experience. So if you, before you kind of, you know, go out and speak maybe to your customers, you can even prototype, we're talking about, you know, prototyping in the last question, we can bring that forward here, make the connection that you can even use the analogy of your employee experience. Maybe, for example, you can go and, you know, talk to your employees and say, okay, we want to, you know, talk about, for example, our work from home transition. How's that been for you? Um, you know, and then you can kind of get into this process or get into the mindset of what is it like to get feedback from people because uh, getting feedback from someone and that kind of user testing is very different to, for example, than like an interview because an interview is that you, you have something in mind and that you guide um, that you kind of guide the interviewee in a way. What we want to do um, most most likely in our design thinking process is that we want our user to guide us to unseen insights that maybe we wouldn't know. So instead of, you know, this kind of like, you know, rapid 
you know, questioning, you know, what we want to do is kind of set a wide question. We kind of want to set quite a broad question for our for our users and then let them guide us. This takes a little bit of practice, um, but it's certainly it's certainly doable for everybody because all it is is it's a conversation and it means to be human. And, you know, most of the people watching this podcast are certainly, you know, uh, tick those boxes that we're all human, you know, so you can have a conversation. Just know that it's going to it's going to feel a little bit different. And so what I would recommend doing is, you know, getting back to what we spoke about before. Is it the first step in, in adopting a, a user centric business approach is to understand that it's a learning you need to become a learning organization so there's never going to be that perfect right or perfect wrong it's that we're constantly striving to become better in the organization and one way to do that is to first learn and and rely on each other because i think there's so much um especially you know uncertainty in the market right now that before we kind of go with our uncertainties to our clients what we kind of want to do is first in-house see if there's any opportunities that we might be able to identify and then even you know run um run a small design sprint uh, internally so that we've, you know, understand internally what are the benefits of a design sprint and design thinking. And then we can then go and then we feel that much more confident when we're speaking to our clients because we we're not only speaking on theory, we're speaking on experience. Mm. Um, my question was actually, um, my next question was actually pointing towards that internal versus, versus external mm-hmm. setup for design thinking. Mm-hmm. So you have a consulting company, right? So you go right. in, in companies and you, you, you share your workshops and you advise them on how to use design thinking for mm-hmm. their innovation efforts. That's for right. companies that, let's say, maybe don't, do not have the possibility to right now hire consultants, do you advise um, companies to send their employees to learn this or do you advise to look on a specific platform do you advise people to listen look at some specific resources in order to get this information and use it in their organization uh the first step when we're thinking about becoming a learning organization is that you know it can be as complex or as simple as as you like it right so let's talk on the scale for for some people that are in some different situations so as as you mentioned maybe you know we're speaking with a particular client that you know uh maybe they're in a particular industry that's been really quite hard hit um and let's just say for example you know there that they don't have any you know extra um business income streams right now to invest in in other initiatives you know this is the reality for many people unfortunately obviously what we want to do is in times of crisis ideally we want to pivot as quickly as possible but we also have to be very realistic and rather than encouraging your clients to go back and rethink and imagine that you have for example like a travel business okay forget about travel it's all about blockchain forget about your travel business and you're thinking oh my gosh i've spent 20 years building a travel business and now you're telling me build a blockchain business that doesn't make sense for me so what we want to do is understand where our client is where they are and then help them. So the first thing is really just adopting a learning mindset costs nothing. It's the idea that I walk into a room when I have a conversation that I don't assume to know the, the right answer. The other thing is when we do get into discussions with our colleague, because really innovation does begin within, because, you know, if I could tell you how many times that I've had a client say to me, if only our clients would change, everything would be so much easier. And I agree. How much easier would it be if all of our clients would change? You know, but what we want to do is that we want to encourage and we want to model that behavior that we want to see within our clients. We want to model that first. Uh, And so there's obviously different ways to do that. The first thing, you know, again, just becoming that learning organization, becoming a curious organization and constantly being in, in communication with your with your clients and with your customers, checking in with them. So, for example, now is a time, you know, during COVID, we specialize in uh, in the Japanese market. 
And obviously, and um, you know, the whole world has been hit by COVID-19 and you know, people have had to go and rethink and pivot uh, in their businesses. But even if your business has come to an absolute standstill, I think there's no reason that you can't reach out to your clients and just say, hi, hey, hi, it's just, I'm just calling to check in and see how you're doing. I think this idea of that we're in a relationship is really important to innovation because innovation initiatives, um, as much as we think about innovation in sprints and design thinking, and that's a really great uh, way to go about it. If we're building an innovation ecosystem, if we're building an innovation DNA within org- in an organization, it's going to take time. So we have these kinds of sprints that we certainly um, can get those quick wins in. But let's think about the, the the environment of innovation that takes years, sometimes decades to build. And so even in times like this where maybe your business might be at an absolute halt, it's, you know, that time that leaders can stand up and really show that they're a leader even in the bad times and stand up and say, hey, how's everybody doing? Yeah. I I really like the fact that you speak so passionately about this because becoming a learning organization is actually not as easy as you hear it, right? So it's not just about reading the right books and um, having uh, the right people um, in in the mm-hmm. positions. It's also a culture fit. It needs to be, um, to exist within the company. Mm-hmm. Um, on this note, and uh, I want to say it's really funny that we have this uh, black and white setup here with uh, <laughs> in, uh, in the evening here and being in, uh, during the day there. Exactly. Um, I uh, I also wanted to encourage people before we move into the next topic, which is mostly about your consulting practice and how did you get there? You know, some tips for people who feel that maybe in this uh, COVID-19 times, they actually reflected on their careers and they decided, look, I have a passion for something. I really want to start something on my own. I want to I wanna go towards that uh, path. But before that, I want to encourage people to start sending questions that you want Brittany to answer. Uh, obviously, we've gotten some feedback, so we will, we will follow some uh, discussion points, but it will be great to uh, have Brittany here answer some of your questions if you have any. So, Brittany, you are the founder of Design Thinking Japan. That's right. It's yes. fascinating that you work in a, in a country as cool as Japan, and uh, you obviously serve your clients there in their innovation efforts. Mm-hmm. Ha, uh, you've, you've talked a bit about your fascination for, for Japan since you were a kid and how you grew up thinking that, you know, you you, you will get a, an internship there and were, were able to move there at an early age mm-hmm. um, back and forth. I wanted to ask your recommendation of a process or let's say maybe a reflection for people who now think that their passion is also to start something on their own or mm-hmm. start something that is you know closer to their hearts how do they how do they start and if there's any tips in terms of you know network how to get that you know your business running in the beginning mm-hmm. thank you um i think that's a, a, a great point and I think that you know as you mentioned I think this is a question on on many people's lips right now one thing I would encourage you to think about if you are saying I want to go and start something on my own I'd like you to encourage and dig a little deeper as to why that is are you wanting to open a business because you want that lifestyle change and it's about your comfort Or are you wanting to start a business because you've seen a market gap and you think this is actually something that I can really, that I can work in? 
I think if I think there's nothing wrong if the first motivation is your motivation that you just want a lifestyle that suits you better. I totally understand that. Um, however, you need to work really hard in order to develop a really strong value proposition for your clients. Because if you're kind of coming up and you're new, and for example, if you're in a if you're in a if you're in a market, for example, like we are in Japan companies have been around for 400 years or 400 years you can't compete on that kind of level of trust you can't compete on that kind of history so you need to compete on different factors are you competing on the fact that you can bring global knowledge to a client are you competing on the fact that you can bring agility or speed what is it so i would encourage you if you're looking to do something new i would encourage you to dive really deep into the why why is that um Mm. and this is even related to for example design thinking because we begin with the, you know the user think about the person that you want to sell to what would it be what would make it easy for them to say yes to you and your services right that's what we want to do and so as much as i understand that you know people are reflecting on their lives and they want to you know lead um, you know different lifestyles and i things like that i totally appreciate that but it's not simply about you and your lifestyle it's about how you can support a particular group of people to to solve their problems which brings me to the second thing that i would say is that the world and the market just develops and, you know, in some ways quite slowly, but in many ways very quickly. So I would encourage you to kind of become connected with kind of a, a bigger idea. And I know that we talked about this in the podcast, mm. um, but really to, to put your flag in the sand and say, this is what I'm about so that people can come to you. So for example, if you, if you're, if you, for example, think right now, it's a really great idea to sell face, to sell, you know, masks, right. For face masks. Mm because you think everyone needs a mask and it's a really great business model and it's cheap and you can, you know, the logistics aren't too difficult and you start, you know, building a mask. Think about the minute that maybe we, you know, we get a vaccine or maybe we don't use masks anymore. Maybe we have face visors or, or whatever it is. Does that mean that you're out of business? You know, so I would encourage you to, to, to rather than become connected with a particular product or a particular service, become connected with, with a larger idea. So for example, Right now, um, we use design thinking as a, as a model to help our clients innovate quickly, and, you know, and 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 bring their business operations to life. Um, but I, but Alexander, I'm sure if we sit down again in ten years, maybe we've got a different. You know, maybe we use different tools. I certainly think that the um, that the essence of our business will be the same. That we help our clients achieve their business aspirations, you know, and we help them you know innovate with the with the tools for change i'm sure that that's that will still very much be what our business is um but if it's in 10 years still design thinking i don't know and guess what i'm okay with that i'm okay with the what changing as long as that why kind of stays the same and that helps me feel a little bit more grounded and for people that maybe even might have like concerns or or doubts um am i making the right decision i don't know um i would encourage you to not worry too much about the what and let the what let the market guide you to the what Mm. what it is from you um and let and make sure that you have that that why very strong as well amazing i really want to emphasize uh, one moment on the idea of um do having your passion like finding your passion where do you start to um reach out to obviously to your immediate network mm-hmm. but have you seen some patterns or was anything that helped you when you've decided to start your consulting practice something mm-hmm. around i don't know networking or knowing uh, connecting with the community something that was really important for you to succeed in building your business 
Sure. The, the, the number one thing I can say is you're never going to know where your break is going to come from. You're mm. never going to know. You're never, you're never going to know who it's going to come from and you never know when it's going to come, which means that you have to stay active all the time. Right. Mm. Which is, which when you think about it is kind of like a, like a crazy expectation, right. That you have to stay motivated on something for like almost an endless amount of time. So this is why it's really important that you find something that you want to work towards, which is why I don't recommend just opening, you know, a mask business because now, you know, people need masks for COVID, you know, find something that you feel like that you could still do in 10 years from now. So the number, I would probably say two, two things that I would take away. One is you do not need a job or company to work. You right now without, you know, without, even for example, if you say, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm living in a, abroad and I, and I don't have the right visa that I can't even, you know, open a company or whatever. Let's take this for example. It's very complex, but just go with me. Um, there is nothing stopping you writing articles, making content, for example. And I think that this is, this is a really, this is a really important factor is that we really have to understand that obviously charging for something and getting paid for something, that's the goal. But as long as, you know, you're not there yet, there's nothing, there's no reason that what you can't build kind of your, your, your trust assets around your brand and trust assets around your brand look like, you know, look like content. So for example, I had, I had a, um, a call last night with someone and he said to me, look, um, I've already read your stuff. I've already listened to your podcast and I've already seen your videos, which means I already know that you speak Japanese fine. So we, you know, we can have this conversation in English or Japanese and I know you're fine. And I've also seen um, how you use design thinking in workshops. So I also know that, you know, I'm sold on that. So I save myself easily 30 minutes of selling myself to this guy by having by having content out there because he'd already seen it. He'd already, he's, he'd already, even for example, like with my Japanese language skills, I don't have to tell you what my, you know, um, JLPT score is, like my Japanese language proficiency test score is. You just open a YouTube video and you'll see me having a conversation with the CMO of Dropbox Japan and we're talking about cloud technologies and innovation in Japanese. So, you know, and so there you go. You, you can take that. So understand hmm. that you not need a job to work, which means there is nothing stopping you right now, even as Alex and I are talking, opening up your computer or opening up a book and start jotting down some ideas for your next article. Mm. That's number one. The second thing is, is that everything that you do, think about it in terms of like a, like a sustainable ecosystem, rather than thinking, oh, I wrote this article and nothing came of it. I did this podcast and nothing came of it. Or I did this interview and nothing came of it. Think about that you're creating this entire ecosystem surrounded about this topic that you talk about. So for example, for, in my case, it's about innovation in Japan. And the innovation for me is kind of, it's almost synonymous with like confidence and creative confidence and giving people the skills and the tools that they need in order to be bold in their decision-making and their workplace, right? That's one thing. And then the Japan side is very much, you know, about the Japanese, you know, country itself. But many people that are in high, high context environments, like in, in China or in Taiwan, or even in Malaysia are also reading my, my content and saying, oh, I also mm. have issues with, with, with my boss who tells me to shut up. Well, not in so many words, you know? And so, that's what I would do. Understand that you do not need a job to work. And the second thing is understand, try to, instead of viewing these pieces of content as, as individual things, think about it as assets that you're building this entire ecosystem about something that you love.
Mm. I totally agree. And one of my feedback in developing the podcast, for example, was that I always um, accompany the interview itself with an article about the topic because each episode focuses on one topic field of work so when I uh, had the interview with you and when I uh, when I was editing and you know hearing it uh, over and over in order to prepare it I uh, decided to write an article about design thinking just putting a bit of context to our interview and some of the very thoughtful pieces of advice you gave right and Mm -hmm. This is just an, another piece of content that you can create. And I feel that maybe we, we talk, you and me, we both use LinkedIn as well a lot. And we talk a lot about creating content, but maybe for some people it's not as easy. So I really like your piece of advice of, you know, putting down some ideas and starting from there. And we're starting to get some questions that are very relevant to, to, the, next, uh, to the next part. So somebody really asked about the cultural difference. So, for mm-hmm. example, uh, how did you find <laughs> opening a business in a foreign country and how did you deal with the cultural difference? Okay, let's dive right into this one. And we can also add even like the fee. So here's the thing. Opening a business in Japan or, or you know, working in Japan um, – it comes with challenges for sure. However, 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 the challenges that you see in Japan, for example, aren't necessarily the fact that, oh, it's because I'm a foreigner or it's because I'm a woman or things like that. Japanese are most discriminatory with age and experience. Mm-hmm. So if your business is not has not been around for 50 years, for example, that's kind of where they get suspicious they don't look at me and say like oh my gosh you're a foreigner oh my gosh you're a woman the thing that gets me is they're like you're not 50 years old so how can you lead a company you know so this is kind of more the thing so the the cultural differences are huge and my best way of managing and navigating uh, cultural differences is to not try to change the Japanese culture in, in, in any way but to try to to absorb it and then work with it so for example, the word innovation is a is a foreign word in 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 Japanese. There's no Japanese perfect translation for the word innovation. So they use a katakana word, innovation, you know. So um, just to give you an idea. Um, so instead of when we talk about innovation, the reason why we call that business, what we call our podcast, the business karaoke podcast, is because if we think about what's necessary for innovation, right? What's necessary for innovation? That everyone plays a role, that you have a voice, that it's kind of playful, that it's also for a short period of time. So the same way that, you know, um, that workshops don't go on forever, you know, we have a certain period of time. And so rather than me explaining to the Japanese, this is the kind, this is what an innovation mindset is. This is what I need you to do to be innovative. I use something that means something to them. And I use that as a foundation. So for example, we use karaoke and that's why we have the business karaoke podcast. So in karaoke, what happens? Everybody has a voice. Even if you have a good voice or a bad voice, everyone can sing. doesn't matter if you're mm. old or young. Um, you know, and then people always talk about, yeah, but what about the alcohol? But what about the alcohol element? The alcohol element, you know, in in, in in innovation is that you use kind of like guidelines and context and, you know, like rules. The other thing about karaoke is it's for a short period of time. It's You only, you know, go for two hours. You don't go for a week or something like that, you know. So it's this idea that we go and that what we do in karaoke stays in karaoke. This is also what we want in innovation. What happens in the innovation room stays in the innovation room. You know, if we make a mistake or something happens, don't worry about it. You know, we move on. We learn and we move on. Um so that's kind of one thing with the cultural differences. Um, but then when you recognize that you're you're up against something uh, that's specific to, to the market, I would also make sure that you do recognize what is it about the 
um, about your your like the culture that you're working in. What is, for example, their kind of discrimination point? So, for example, I know it's you know in some cultures it's flat out being a woman. I wouldn't necessarily say in Japan it's that you're a woman that is the issue. Um, in Japan, like. I've had comments of things like, oh, wow, I've never had a female lead a workshop before. I've never met someone. So it's less about like, I don't think you can do it or I don't think you're qualified. They just say things like, I've never seen it before. So mm. instead of getting mad and angry and how dare you say that to me or whatever, I just kind of go with it and I say, yeah, you know, it's, it's different. And so you just kind of accept it and move on because it's about that, you know, design thinking mindset. Think about them. They're looking, if they're saying it, you know, in a discriminatory way and that you feel directly offended, well, that's a different story. But if, if you kind of look from their position and they're not necessarily saying it to be rude to you, but they're saying it simply because it's fact that they have never been led by a woman in a workshop before, well, don't blame them for that. It's not their mm. fault. You know, if anything, mm. it's, I, I usually take those experiences so seriously that I'm like, I have to give this person the absolute best possible experience because if this workshop is good or bad, this person will also connect it to the fact that I'm a foreigner and that I'm a woman. Right. So I don't want them to be like, oh, it was terrible because she's a woman or something, you know, or it's terrible because she's a foreigner. I want them to leave saying that was incredible. And she was a foreigner and she was a woman, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, when it comes to kind of these, these, these cultural differences, I, I encourage people rather than to go and say, you know, we're all even, we're all equal, which is kind of what you would do in like a Western ish kind of design thinking or innovation workshop, be very sensitive to the, to the culture that, that you're working in um, and understand how far can I physically push this group or this particular work workshop within their comfort zone. So I mm. push them to the absolute edge of what they think when they feel comfortable, but they still feel safe, you know? And then what we do is we use and we work within that space, you know, and we be and, and we use that to 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 ideate and test and prototype and come up with insights and things like that. Mm. I have a question here that uh, links very well with what you just uh, said about how do you get to know and understand your clients well enough to bring design thinking in their business culture. So you said you use analogy with Japanese for uh, business for karaoke, and then you also created a, a podcast that reflects right. that. So that's that's a very good way of going around that particular use case with Japan. Do you have any other tips that would make sense in terms of? using this practice in a culture that's maybe not the, the Western one. Absolutely. So my, my number one thing is that we have to create a tailored experience for each company. Each company is going to have different needs. They're also going to have different challenges. So what we need to do is look at this company and say, okay, how can we best serve them? And sometimes going in with that kind of like a design sprint model, which is a five day immersive experience of you know rap where we you know gather user insights and we build a product and, and on the on the fifth day usually on the friday we kind of like pilot this prototype you know to the board for example this is this is maybe too mature of an investment for particular clients so what we need to do is work with them and understand what do they need so do they need you to for example run maybe a like an experience workshop maybe for half a day do they need maybe you to come to their organization in the form of a brown bag and that you give kind of like a like a lunchtime talk or something like that so what i would encourage you to do is that i understand that you have your product you know 
understand that you have your portfolio of products and services, but understand that that's only, use that as a reference, use that as a guide rather than like as a menu, you know, this is what you have to order and like, that's it. What I would encourage you to do, particularly uh, in countries or cultures or even companies that are new to innovation, that are new to this kind of, you know, user-centric design, and Japan is certainly one of them, is to to be patient and, and understand that your role is to become an ally within the organization. So it's not, you know, it's not you versus them and they either buy this design sprint from you or they don't and they're in or they're out. Think about your role as being an ally, as a partner to your client and thinking this, in a, maybe you're working with an innovation manager internally, right, with the client. My job is to not say, well, Tanaka-san, this is what I can do for you. If you want to buy it, fine. If not, fine. You know, that's that's not helpful to Tanaka-san because he has to then or she has to then go internally and then kind of tries has to try and get a yes from someone. But you, me, as the innovation professional, I haven't given them I haven't given them any assets to be able to sell my case on behalf of me, right? Mm. So what I want to do is understand that it's not about you know, well, you do it or not. So this is where innovation professionals honestly have to step up their game. If you ask me, you have to understand the business case. You cannot just come in and say, I can run a design sprint for you because I speak Japanese and I understand the culture. It's not enough. You have to go in and you have to say, this is the business case that I can help you build. Um, You know, and then also with innovation, one of the problem, one of the reasons people bring you in uh, is because maybe they're cash poor at the moment. This doesn't usually happen with Japanese companies. Japanese companies are usually pretty cash rich. But still, imagine if you had a company that's cash poor. What's the first thing you need to do as an innovation consultant? Rather than charge them $30,000 for a design sprint, maybe help them in this, on a smaller scale, bring in or, you know, to kind of cover those holes, those leakages in the organization to help them afford you for the next time. So understanding that, understanding the business case, understanding what this particular client needs in order to get a yes from their boss, you know, is, is all super important. So rather than going mm. in and having a very specific idea, help, help them help you. I, I love that. So be a partner, not a bottleneck yes, in this process. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love that. And we have a question also about your consulting career as, you know, skills. Like, what do you think are the most important skills for someone who considers developing a career in consulting? Patience. Uh, <laughs> patience. Um, the first, the first and foremost thing, let's go soft skills and hard skills. Absolutely, soft skills are more important now in consulting than ever um, because the problems that we're solving are not simply, you know, that we can go to our back office, go to the inventory, pull out something that we've delivered 25 times or 250 times or 25,000 times and then just reproduce it or just, you know, do it again with this with this other client. It's very much about listening is really important. Um, you need to be able to and also to extrapolate information is really important so if a client says something like yeah we've been wanting to do this right rather than saying well why haven't you you know when you go okay why is this we've been wanting to do this is this is this is this a leadership problem is this a money problem is this a culture problem is this where's the issues so number one thing is as a consultant that i would recommend you to do is to really fine-tune your people skills um 
and to help people feel feel comfortable and safe talking to you because particularly in, in countries or companies where the you know my work self and my personal self are no different i know for example in scandinavia like if you if your boss were to call you on the weekend it would be like i think you could probably sue them or something like do you know what i mean <laughs> i think you would just be very surprised that they yeah, are doing that like, like why, yeah, why are you now on your phone <laughs> yeah. and there'd be like some kind of law passed in the next month that you like can't call your employees or something like in japan this is like just not this is like not the case you know so we have to like we have to just really understand that like in in companies and cultures where there's no where there's no real difference between like professional self and my personal self understand that in order for me to tell you about my business problems i'm telling you i personally have problems as well so when you ask me well what's the problem it's so difficult for me to then just say okay well this is our business problem because i'm so tied up in it all i feel it's also my fault as well so understand that in order for you to get out any kind of business information or any kind of business data you need to really be able to create that environment where someone feels like you're that that you're there to help rather than there to judge which goes back to for example like Alex what we were just talking about with being that partner for them rather than just kind of being that person that comes and then tells you what to do and then like leaves mm. you know mm. so do that and then obviously as as a consultant I'd really encourage you to learn not only the like kind of like standard consulting methods but I'd encourage you to go and create um a, a really uh, diverse toolbox of tools you know learn about agile learn about behavioral science learn about design thinking you know l- like l- learn about you about I don't know what so, you know anything Topics else that kind that of are not, uh, exactly. that are not in the finance school no, or anything. exactly <laughs> learn about things you know even for example um you know I've seen some consultants even you know learn for example graphic facilitation and that's been you know really um transformational in their consultants consulting journey because they've been able to capture and illustrate client insights or needs or wants you know visually and then the client has felt like yeah that's exactly what I'm talking about and they've committed more in the conversation so there's going there's so many tools available to you now so i would encourage you to to research them have a look around and then follow up on the ones that you find most interesting. I'm not recommending that you go and do everything. Uh fi- follow up on the ones that you find most interesting that help you um not only help your clients but even, you know, uh, help you grow grow also as a person. Mm. I want to ask you two more questions because I know I I'm taking here your time, but I wanted to uh ask you about I love spending the... time with you. you don't take anything. <laughs> the idea development so um in in now in covid times you've mentioned in the beginning that obviously uh, using design thinking for a sprint um and for rapid prototyping is really key and it's really not that hard but what do you think about um coming up with ideas in this time is it harder now to come up with ideas that would help your business is is it that you don't know what to do do you think it people are a bit more reluctant to trying new ideas in this period Uh I think that's a great I think that's a great idea um uh, talking about ideas because we're looking for solutions because we're desperate right people are like oh my gosh this is a disaster my business is you know going crazy and I have kids running around my house and my husband is working next to you know people are like losing their minds I get it but before we start thinking about ideation I would really encourage you to think about what question that you're answering and so this is really where we can use design thinking um to define what's our most relevant user need because i found that um even for example in times of covid i think that we're kind of more um 
more resourceful now than than ever you know that um we don't that somehow you know for example like you and i you know we're you know quarantined at, at, and at home but somehow you know our homes have also become like recording studios as well whereas i think like a year ago if you had told me i do you want to run a podcast i think i would have you know already jumped 10 steps and thought yeah but where will we record and what about this and what about i think i would have gotten like a little too um kind of on on the on the on the on the doing like on the on the perfectionist side rather than just getting to getting it done you know mm. um and i think in times of covid covid i think we do come up with some great ideas um my encar- i would really encourage people to make sure that the ideas that they're coming up with are solving their most critical questions so take a step back and then really think about okay yeah sure you know we can start a you know a new business or sure we can have a new partnership or sure we can sign this new deal is that solving our real issue? So that's what I would encourage you to do. Embrace these times of change. Embrace these times of uncertainty to do things you've never done before, to come up with ideas that maybe you wouldn't have a year ago, but also make sure that um, they're, they're in line with that you know, business strategy, they're in strategy or make sure they're in line with that kind of, you know, that real question that, that, that needs to be answered. Hmm. Lovely. I also want to sum up now with a question that is more about your path. So um, we have a question here. What are the three main things that play the key role in your career? It can be education, work experience, and so on. What would you say are the three things that are really crucial for your career development? Oh, my gosh. I think there's, I, I, I don't think there's three. I think there's like one and then like a million other factors. So the one factor is people. The people, oh my gosh, the um, the support that I've had, the incredible people that have taken the time to speak with me for half an hour or an hour and share their journey with me or to give me ideas or feedback um, has has been has been fundamental. And some of these people have had direct conversations with me, but some of the people who I've learned from, I actually have never spoken to directly. I've read their books, I've seen some of their keynotes, and I've been inspired that way. So I would encourage you, if, if there's someone that you that you want to model your life after, if there's someone who does something professionally that's really inspiring to you, find ways to connect with that person, even if it's not direct you know, mentorship, read their books, watch their videos, listen to interviews that they've been on and things like that and, and kind of go that way. Um, yeah, but this, this, the, the, the people factor and, and we always have to constantly think about value. Right. And for, so I think that understanding, particularly if you're, if you're building a business abroad, you don't have a, a linear path forward. You have to sell, you know, like a thousand times more, you know, than you would if you were like, you know, local, there's so many other factors going on, you know, and, um, you know, getting a job is, is so much more difficult and getting a client is so much more difficult, but I'd really encourage you to think about like a few things in terms of like, kind of my, my pattern has been, so I'm Australian. I lived eight years in Germany, but, and, but I'm, but I specialize also in the Japanese market. You know, I've been in Japan for like a similar amount of time. There was no job for me. There's no job that says, are you Australian, Japanese, and German and who is passionate about people and design thinking and innovation? So it never really existed. So what I did was I tried to find little ways that I could that I could live this kind of life, you know? 
So for example, I think lots of people, you know, they go and try to find a company and they say, well, I'm all these things. I'm this like complex professional. So you should like hire me and you should pay for it and whatever. But I don't really think that's the key. I don't think that's the company's issue that, you know, I'm this, you know, German, Australian, Japanese speaking innovation professional. If the client only needs me to speak German or if the client only needs me to speak English or Japanese, they don't have to pay me for the other services or the other skills that I have. So what do we do? Try, try to think about your professional life almost as like um, like parallel streams. Think, who can I live my Japanese career with? Who can I live my German career with? Who can I live my Australian career with? You know, and, and especially if you're a foreigner, it's sometimes more difficult to get a job than it is to just start a business. <laughs> You know, so often people say, gee, why did you start a business? I'm like, well, no one gave me a job. There was no jobs. There was no jobs that was like, here, you can go and do these things that you like to do. So your job then is to help people suggest to you. How do you give, how do you give people, how do you encourage people to, um, to trust you? How do you create trust assets? What I mean by trust assets is I mean like the call that I had yesterday. I didn't have to tell this guy at all zero on my Japanese ability or on my, on my ability to, on my design thinking skills because he'd already seen what I had um, delivered to the market. So we were able to have a very specific conversation on specific clients and and the and the very granular granular details of, of of collaboration. We wouldn't have been able to have that if I had to go back and say, well, design thinking is like I would have wasted his time and my time, you know. So what you want to do is you want to create an environment where people trust you because as a foreigner, people don't trust you, not because they're racist, because you haven't done anything in their environment that makes you want to trust them right so rather than saying gee why hasn't this person given me a job i want you to very critically very seriously ask yourself is there anything on the internet that this person can double oh i'm getting too excited can double check (laughs) can reference can reference me what i've said in the email is there anywhere on the internet that they can check this is true? If I say I can do design thinking in Japanese, is there somewhere on the internet that proves that I can do design thinking in Japanese? If you say that you can lead uh, marketing in English and you're from Estonia, do you, is there a video? Is there an article? And if you don't have these kind of trust assets as a foreigner working abroad, you're doing yourself a disfavor. Go and do yourself a favor and put out content so that people have no reason but to trust you. I love that. (laughs) So on point. And it's also very relevant for a lot of our listeners who are now either strained somewhere or this, uh, you know, living, uh, living abroad or trying to find maybe another path in a different country. I feel that right now a lot of people are also looking for career challenges if uh, if they if they haven't been in an unfortunate situation of losing their job, then they really reflected on their job. Some of them are very uh, excited about their uh, their path, and some of them are thinking, "What can I do now to change and be more on my path?" You know, find my my passion. I really like the fact that you you took the time. I want to thank you so much for doing this. I think that. People found it so interesting and I definitely got to tap even more on some of the points that we've discussed in the podcast, which is amazing. So thank you so much, Brittany. Oh, it's my, it's my absolute pleasure. And I just want to encourage everyone who's listening, just 
always ask yourself, how am I delivering this person value? How am I being a partner to this person? Whether you're an innovation professional and you're convincing, you know, a client to invest in an innovation initiative or whether you're a foreign professional encouraging a, you know, a local business to invest in you or to hire you, always think about, go back to that design thinking element and always think about how can I help them say yes? How can I get them to trust me? You know, not in a manipulative way, but think about what are the kind of trust assets that I can build right now digitally that that makes you know that the thing that I want to do absolutely like a magnet to my name so I wish everyone the best of luck um there's never been a better time to do it (laughs) amazing thank you so much Brittany thank you for your thoughtful advice Alex you're doing an incredible job I'm cheering on I'm cheering you on (laughs) I hope you felt inspired to take charge of your next career move remember to review this podcast and share your comments thank you